powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, it's NFL Network's Charles Davis joining us right now. And of course, he was on the call for the Senior Bowl at the Senior Bowl with plenty of insights. So we're hoping to uh, to pick your brain a little bit because the Seahawks have some big decisions to make. I'll start, Charles, with the quarterbacks. Who stood out to you? No one in particular. And I don't mean that as a slam. Okay, it sounds horrible, right? No one in particular. <laughs> but but they struggled, you know, in different ways as they went. Did they get better as they went on? I thought so. And obviously the headliners were Michael Penix and and, and, uh, and Bo uh, Nix from, in, you know, right there in the great Northwest. And both of them got better. And the key to everything is always remember the tape is the tape is the tape. One week at an all-star game should not change the fortunes of someone. In fact, a Hall of Fame uh, executive told me, all-Star Week, you don't ding anyone, but it's okay to elevate people. If they show you something you really like, that's great. But don't take one week and just throw it all out. I thought Michael Penick's arm in person, even more impressive than what you watch, you know, when you're watching a game and you're watching tape, you're like, my goodness, there's times his feet don't get adjusted, but that ball still comes off of his hand live and gets to his target really well. I thought Bo Nix, when things were a little unstructured, I would have thought he would have really kind of like, hey, that would be his game. But in this case, it really wasn't. But as the week went on, he settled in, started getting sharper, making throws. And anyone who throws for 78% in a season, you better be taking a whole lot of looks at because he kept getting better and better and better. And when you watch the tape, you see him manipulate safeties, move people off their spots, get the ball to the right people. They were the headline quarterbacks. Spencer Rattler got a lot, of, a lot of nice press and a lot of uh, praise. Remember, he was a game MVP. He played like two series and got the game MVP, but he's made a really good play on the touchdown. His big thing is, I think you can both probably remember him when he was 17 and did that quarterback feature and what have you, and that did not go well. Okay, If you watch that feature, you said to yourself, I don't know if I like this young man. All right, I mean, this is not a kid that you would get behind. He understands that, and he's matured. And he understands he's combating that and he's meeting it head on. But I thought he got better as the week went on as well. So those were the main ones. And don't forget the wild card is Joe Milton out of Tennessee because he is gorgeous. Okay. If you want to carve out a kid that looks like a quarterback, he's it. He's like Anthony Richardson last year, but he's not as consistent throwing the ball. He's not as dynamic a runner, but body wise, Every quarterback coach you guys run into will say, please draft him. I don't care when. I want to work with him because if you can unlock that, you've got something because it takes nothing for him to throw the ball 70 yards, just a flick of the wrist. Well, Charles, let me start off by saying you're a tough crowd, and I really appreciate that, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, but obviously I'm, I'm going to focus on the Northwest and, and Michael Penning. He decided yeah. not to play in the game. Um, what do you think was the uh, the reasoning behind that? Was it simply just staying injury-free, or was there there's something else behind that? I, you know, Michael, I think it was probably just being, you know, in this day and age, hey, I practiced every practice, and he did. He took every snap. He didn't sit out things. He didn't miss anything. He was in every meeting. Um, you know, he did all the right things. Like, to me, he was the best quarterback for the entire week when you put all together the body of work and the whole deal. 
he just probably, you know, made that decision at the end, like we do with bowl games that aren't for, for the college football playoff. I've done it. Do I really want to take the extra gamble in a game like this? And he just sat out again in this day and age, we have, if you're a scout and you have not learned, you cannot take that personally and start writing up guys. You know, he doesn't love football. He didn't play. He didn't do this. That's not the way it is these days. Okay. Get over that. Let that go. He did everything else that you could possibly do. Was it disappointing to not see him? Of course. But here's the, here's the counter of it. Bo Nix did all the right things, went out and played. He's going to get praised for that. He played two series. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like you're going to gain a lot for it. And I'm not saying Bo was gaming the system. Remember, he's from Alabama. He was a headliner. He felt the responsibility that the people came out to see him play. I think he's a wonderful young man. But he played a couple series. Okay, so let's not get let's not get it that he's like, yep, yeah, I'm gonna play four quarters because here I am. These guys are having to be smart about what they're doing. I don't think there's anything sinister with what happened with Michael. I think he only gained points throughout the week. Charles, sticking with the uh, the quarterback conversation, I was listening to um, the Jets defensive coordinator, Coach Jeff, and he he mentioned how yeah. he watched Brick. the uh, the quarterbacks kind of transition to receiving the play. In, in, in the headset, mm-hmm. right, in their helmet. Well, what is that yeah. like? What did you observe when it comes to these guys getting used to receiving the plays in that way? Uh, Michael and Stacey, it is, it is a quantum leap. It is, it is you wake up in the morning and you're speaking English, and by the later in the <laughs> afternoon they want you to speak Farsi. Okay? <laughs> That's what it is for, for these guys because the way the game has evolved, you guys watch it, you guys observe it, you guys are right and immersed in it. How many times do you see a guy even go in the huddle now as a starting quarterback in college football? How many times right. does that quarterback have to even call a play? Everything is on the line of scrimmage. Look to the sideline, get the call, watch the defense, look to the sideline, get the check, <laughs> right. come back, run the play. My, my phrase for this for the last five years is we're not developing field generals anymore. We're developing ex- executors. You execute what you are given. How many people have to go in the huddle and say, guys, we got 85 yards to go. Look at my eyes. Believe in me. It's rare. You're just out on the field. So you have to get to your team in other ways to execute that, you know, to put that kind of leadership into your squad. And the best quarterbacks do that. But when you go from never calling plays to all of a sudden you go to a system where you now you're getting it not only in your headset, but think about spitting out the play. And if it's a West Coast terminology play, mm-hmm. that's like all of a sudden reciting the you know, war and peace for your class. <laughs> it's a whole different change for these kids. They're spending time in their hotel rooms, talking to the mirror. They're going places where no one can see them because it's embarrassing to them because you know, you're all of a sudden you're talking to yourself and trying to get it right. And not only do you have to do it, you have to spit it out with confidence so your team feels like, yeah, this is a good play to run. It takes some work, it takes some time. It will get it eventually. This was the first step in doing it. And not only that, when was the last time many of them took, took snaps under center? Right. A lot of them just don't do that. So you're asking a lot out of them. All these teams are looking for is, are they, one, willing to adapt? Are they, two, putting in the work during the week to try and get better at doing it? And, three, do they see improvement at the end of the week? And I think in all cases the answer was yes, yes, and yes. Uh, Charles, this is a larger question as a whole just about this incoming draft class and less so specifically about the Senior Bowl, though I'm sure your Senior Bowl observations have influenced some of your opinions here. 
we all know, like, hey, Caleb Williams is going to go number one overall. Who knows if it's Chicago or someone trading or whatever happens. But you kind of have an expectation of where certain guys are going to land. Is there a guy where you think, I have no idea. Like, he, he could go fifth. He could go, you know, 15th. He can go 20th. Like, I am so fascinated because I have no idea where he's going. Oh, boy, that's a great question. Oh, that's a really good question. Look, coming out of the Senior Bowl, when we've talked about we're trying not to ding guys, but we're going to elevate guys. Did we find someone now that moved into the first round that maybe we weren't quite sure? The name I'm going to give you is Darius Robinson, the the defensive end from Missouri. Okay. Because coming into it, we saw the body of work. He stayed the extra year in terms of getting better. He ended up getting 14 tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks, and we all know statistics are whatever we want to make of them. But what I saw during the week was a guy that came in knowing he was a good player, and left convinced he was a good player. And what I mean by that is, and both of you have probably done it in your lives, when you've taken on a certain challenge, you've walked in saying, I'm confident I could do this. And then after X number of days or a few experiences with it, oh, I know I can, not only can I do it, I can dominate it. That's what Darius Robinson did. But I watched him day one through day four, and here was the, here was the difference. He would line up and go in day one, and by day four, he was standing in front of the line, daring them to put the best offensive lineman on the other side. He wasn't calling them out. He wasn't being, you know, but he was standing up like, yeah, put your best out here. And he would work at defensive end. He'd be at the wide nine technique. He'd work off of the edge. He'd come inside and work off of the four eye. He, he did everything, worked up and down. He worked over guards. He worked over the center. He worked over the tackles. He moved and went. And each time he wanted to be the first in line by the end of the week, and he wanted their best offensive tackle to be out there, best offensive guard. That showed me a lot about this one. And so, Stacy, to your point, we don't know where he's going to go. I'm not quite sure where everyone had him before, but I don't think he was a consensus first-round guy. He's getting first-round mentioned now. So this is going to be one to be interesting to see, we'll see where he ends up going. Love hearing somebody make some money at the Senior Bowl, man. That's what, uh, that's, what that's all about. Um, me, me being a receiver, I got to ask a yeah. receiver question. Um, my guy, McConkey, uh, I'm watching his route yeah. running, his one-on-ones. Um, he seems like a guy, you look at his numbers, they're not going to impress you, but you see him on the football field. <laughs> um, you see what he can do. What type of week did he have, and were there any other receivers that, that stood out to you? Well, Michael, you know receivers better than anyone. Uh, when you watched him, all the things you saw, let me tell you what I saw, and you tell me if I'm in, in the right camp, Okay. I saw a very smart receiver. I saw a very sharp, decisive receiver. I saw a receiver who understands how angles work. He understands leverage of defensive backs and how to break them down at their worst possible point, put them in, put them in conflict and in the wrong places. I saw a kid who catches everything that's thrown at him. He knows where the holes are. I think his spatial awareness and field awareness is exceptional. In other words, you know as a receiver – the one thing you don't want to do is disrupt other routes by you doing your thing. You know, if you sometimes you can freelance, but if you freelance and all of a sudden you're in the same spot with someone else, you've messed up everything. He doesn't do that at all. And he has that little bit, and, and you know, we were down in Mobile, Alabama, and it was Mardi Gras time. So there's a term down there in, in, in that area that they call lanyap, which means just a little extra on top. <laughs> and that's what that kid has, right? He's got that little lanyap that you throw on the top of a route. And he goes, the interesting part for all of us was, 
I feel like he was open almost every time he ran a route, but rarely did he see the football. So I'm not sure what was going on or why he wasn't. But to your point, don't get fooled by the numbers. Don't get fooled by what you saw in terms of people throwing it this week. This is one of the better receivers in the draft. The toughest part for him is going to be the medical because he's had a few injuries along the way. They want to know about his knee, want to know about this and everything else. But for the week, <laughs> I thought he I thought he was absolutely tremendous. Hey, Charles, last one for us, and I'm going to step away from the senior bowl for this one and just ask about your general reaction to Mike McDonald as new head coach of the Seahawks. Excited for him, excited for Seattle people. I remember the one statement John Schneider, one of the statements John Schneider made that he said came from him and and ownership was what Pete had put in place in terms of how they operate you know, the positivity of that building, all those things, they wanted that to continue. Did that mean drafting a Pete clone? No, but they wanted a coach that was going to be more in that area than than maybe the big, bad Darth Vader coaches that could have been hired that could come in and do it. All right. And that's what I think you're getting with Mike McDonald. This is a guy, I mean, you guys are probably already there. His background and how he got there is, is, is exceptional. And to me, It's part of what I call the, you know, the old American dream of how we get places. You work hard, you start at a low level, you do all the right things, you get noticed for your work, not because you've, you know, gone on a Skywriters tour and written it in the sky that I'm great. And he just keeps advancing and keeps doing what keeps doing well and had the respect of the people that he was coaching. Like that Baltimore defense, those are some big bad guys now, as you guys well know. All right. They, they, They come through the door. You best be ready to go. And he had that from them. And I think it's going to be fun to watch that continue. He's kind of in that era. We've seen the hirings, right? You saw who who got hired. He's in that same grouping of guys with that positive coaching, enthusiastic way. But doing the rah-rah is one thing. Rah-rah converting into good defense, into good play, into good you know teams. That's what people are looking for. I think Mike McDonald has a very good chance of doing that. I've always enjoyed my interactions with him. And I've always come away a little smarter having talked to him before a ball game. I love hearing that. He is NFL Network's Charles Davis, kind enough to join us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Charles, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Charles. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it very much. Let's get to Four Down Territory. This is Four Down Territory. Going inside Inside the the game. game. What former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, media night was last night. Was there anything said that intrigued you? Um, yeah, there is something. I just really feel a lot of just hate coming from <laughs> the left side of me right now. So, I, I just want everyone to know there's so much trash talking happening right before I turned on the oh mic. Oh, man, I love Bump's it. just really feeling himself now. Yeah, you know, every now and then. I'm allowed to every now and sure. then. Sure. Okay, well, let's get to first down, huh? It's not about me. It's about four down okay. territory, okay? Um, yeah, I did learn something, okay? I learned that uh, Brock Purdy does not mind a Mr. Irrelevant. If I'm Brock Purdy, it's a tattoo. Getting tatted on me, Mr. Irrelevant, some type of mural behind it or something. Yeah. But you own it, especially if he wins a Super Bowl. He can get blue face tattooed. <laughs> That's what all the ladies are doing, apparently, right? No. Blue face on your face. Um, also, what I learned is that Christian McCaffrey has a brother who just started playing receiver in college and was all conference and wants to play with him. Goodness gracious, genetics are real. 
I also learned that Travis Kelsey says Taylor Swift is all in. And the way that he said it, I go, damn, that's really his girl. Like, you felt the love and the passion behind that. And the last thing I learned is that Brock Purdy doesn't know which QBs were drafted before him. So let me remind you. 20th pick, two-glove Pickett. 74th pick, Desmond Ritter. 86, you got Malik Willis. Then you have Matt Corral, Bailey Zappi, Sam Howe, wow. Chris Aladokin. Never heard of him. And then Skylar Thompson. All those guys were drafted before him. And Brock Purdy has been the most successful receiver, excuse me, quarterback in that draft. That was a 2022 draft. So, Brock, you don't have to remember, but I will remind the people and all the teams that missed out on you. Those are some of the things that I learned during uh, media nights. I also heard... A rumor. People were saying that Kyle Shanahan was like a little tipsy. So I listened to him oh. speak and I go, uh, maybe, but it was nothing too crazy. Like, stop stop speculating too much. And even if he was, okay. So what? So what? You're a grown man. Maybe I was. <laughs> Second down. How did the Chiefs win this game without relying on Pat Mahomes? It's crazy. Like, the Niners are giving up a lot of yards on the ground. During the season, they allowed 89 rush yards per game, third in the NFL. In the playoffs, they're averaging 159 yards on the ground that they are giving up. That is the second worst in the playoffs. If you count the teams that have played more than one game, that is the worst in the playoffs. During the regular season, they gave up 5.5 yards per play or per uh, per run. Excuse me. Um, last year, they gave up 3.4 yards per carry. It gets worse. Now, we talk about... The Niners giving up the run. KC is balling on the ground right now. Three games in the playoffs. They are averaging 127 yards per game on the ground. Miami, 147 against the Bills, 146. Against Baltimore, they taper down a little bit, 89 yards in the ground. Now, the Chiefs have shifted their philosophy as well. During the season, they ran the ball 60% of the time. Now they are running the ball. Excuse me. They threw the ball 60% of the time. Now they are running the ball 53% of the time. This whole bunch of numbers, right? All I'm saying is that this game is lined up perfectly for the Niners to take advantage of what, excuse me, the Chiefs to take advantage of what the Niners are sorely lacking in. That is defending the run. Pat Mahomes does not have to have a great game for them to win. All he has to do is throw for 220 yards and two touchdowns and protect the football, do not get sacked like he's been doing all playoffs, okay? And they can get her done. But something tells me the Niners are still going to pull this out because of Brock Purdy, Mr. Relevant, in the gang. But it's set up to be a great game. I love the matchup. Was Kyle Shanahan way more drunk than even I? So, so I hadn't heard anything until you were saying that. Then people... Uh, have like videos of uh, you know like a clip from the hangover of everyone waking up going Kyle Shanahan in his hotel today. Just, <laughs> what? Where am I? What do you What do you see? Do you, do you I, see a, I don't, a I'm drunk not seeing, individual? I don't know. I'm gonna go look at the video during the All break. Right. Third down. What matchups will you be watching closely on Sunday? Man, I'm looking at everything I hear about this Chiefs defense. There are two names that keep popping up: Sneed and McDuffie. Mm-hmm. You know McDuffie, the UW Gray. He is, according to PFF and everyone else out there, he's the best nickel corner in the game right now. He will lock up the slot. And then you look at Snead. Snead gave up one touchdown this year, and it happened in the playoffs. So Snead will follow the number one receiver wherever he goes. So I, I, I picked the best receivers that he faced this year and broke down the numbers and see what he did, all right? Against Amon Ross St. Brown, allowed 71 yards. DJ Moore, he allowed 41 yards. Keenan Allen, he allowed 55 yards. Tariq Hill, he allowed 88 yards. A.J. Brown, only eight. And Stephon Diggs, 24 yards. Now, you look at what the Niners want to be. All right, They're going to run you all across the field. My question now is how much man are the Chiefs going to play? 
Uh, he follows the number one receiver, but doesn't necessarily mean that he's covering him or guarding him, however you want to call it. All right. Doesn't mean that he's locked up on him, but he's going to give that illusion. You could drop in his zone and see what happens. That's why you look at some of these numbers. There's some guys who went off. I believe Palmer for the Chargers went for like a buck 30 or something like that. But He's going to line up over the number one receiver. How much man are they going to allow him to play? And McDuffie as well. So I'm looking at this matchup and I go, yes. All right. The Niners are going to motion you. They're going to shift you. How much man are the Chiefs going to play when they have one of the best duos in the game? So um, watch that matchup. Look at Sneed. Follow the number one receiver, who I assume is going to be. Who is it? Is it Debo? Brandon Ayuk? Probably Brandon Ayuk. And then you look at McDuffie and how he plays the slot guy. You'll see Debo there. Um, depending on what they do with their tight end. We'll see uh, Kittle there. We shall see. But, uh, yeah, watch that matchup. Fourth down. God, this question. <laughs> Bump. Stacy. Why should every NFL team be looking to hire you as a wide receiver coach? Real simple, Curtis. Roll that, baby. Michael, you know receivers better than anyone. Wow. Uh, you heard it. You heard <laughs> it here. I know receivers better than anyone. <laughs> that is Randy Moss. <laughs> Okay, that's Jerry Rice. I might not have put up the numbers that they put up, but I know receivers better than anyone. Our guy Chuck, I call him Chuck. I don't know if you know oh, him like that. Oh, you guys that. are tight like that. I call him okay, Chuck. Okay. He said he said it himself. So um, Seahawks, whoever out there, you need right. a receiver guy. I'm your guy because what did he say, Curtis? Michael, you know receivers better than anyone. Because he said, I got proof there. This is an expert here, Stacy. So um, I think the the Stacy and Curtis makes receivers better than. Bump, Bump camp, camp LLC. Is, you guys, uh, Look, cease and desist letters getting sent out right now. I didn't well, want to cut off a guess yeah. that when we had him on. Like, okay, yeah. okay, Charles. <laughs> I wouldn't say we know wide receivers specifically better than Bump Camp, and that's not a camp that we've started just quite yet. We've, we've had talks about it, but uh-huh. really it's the uh, Curtis and Stacy just get football better than Bump Camp okay. LLC. Curtis and Stacy know ball camp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> better than anyone. Yeah, better than anyone, not just Bump. Better, yeah. It's better than literally anyone who's ever played yeah. or coached. And, and ball um, knowers. Yeah, and ball much knowers. like much like uh, much like Jed and uh, and Mike, uh, we're filling out our coaching staff too right. and taking okay, applications. Right. Um, we could use a wide receiver coach. So, I mean, we'll, we'll extend that offer. Well, the reason why Ryan Grubb hasn't made any sort of announcement yet is because he's in talks with us. Exactly. I, I see. Uh, and Makes we, sense. We yeah. make competitive offers. We do pay minimum wage. Um, it, well, okay. We're, we're it's figuring, more pro bono work. We're figuring out. It's it's a volunteer work. Yeah. We're, fig, we're figuring it's a volunteer out. Program. We're figuring out the uh, money no, situation. We but get it's all not the about, money. It's, yeah, we get yeah. it. It's not about what you get paid, though. It's about what you teach. It's the experience. That's right. what we try to tell right, our okay. coaches. You Got know you. what I mean? Like, forget supporting your family and think about supporting the kids. Yeah, you're giving more than you're taking. <laughs> Thank you. You're Sounds listening to good. Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Taking a look uh, around the NFL a bit later in the show. Coming up in the timeline, though, a press conference, uh, season-ending, excuse me, press conference for the Lions got a little tense in a really fun way, though. Don't go anywhere. This is the timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by one eight hundred DUI away. It is the timeline on Bump and Stacy reading you the top stories you're going to see and hear about on your own timeline. This one is a little interesting, so let's get things started. Diana Rossini of The Athletic shares a wild reason why Mike Rabel may have been passed up for every head coaching vacancy this hiring period. Do you know I had a GM at the Senior Bowl who mentioned to me Vrabel's physical build, that he's a very large human being, and can be very intimidating. 
to to people in an organization that are going to be part of these decisions. And that is a factor, which I left. I said, stop that. That's not something that's real. Who cares what someone physically looks like? And he said, I'm just telling you, I've been I've been in rooms and, and somebody's physical presence can make a difference. What? That's some soft stuff right there. There's no way. Forget what they look like. Can they lead? Do they have a plan? Do you believe in their execution? Here's the thing. Vrabel is 6'4", 261 pounds. Not a little dude. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying, Clint Hurt will never get a job. 6'3", 290 pounds. Clint Hurt is a big dude. If you're walking into a room and his size alone is intimidating you, then maybe you shouldn't be making decisions for an organization, um, especially a football team, where there's a number of big dudes walking around. You have to make your head coach make you flinch. Like, what's going on, man? I think... And obviously, it comes down to more than just that. Right. Um, maybe it wasn't a right fit culturally. Maybe um, they thought that um, his uh, his approach to teaching wasn't what they liked. But when size is sticking out, man, I, I look at whoever said that. And if you are in charge of making decisions to defer to somebody else, I don't care how big you are, how small you are. Do you know ball? Can you lead? Do I believe that you can execute? That's what it comes down to. Clint Hurt, don't ever interview for that job. I don't know who it was, Clint, but when it's time for you to be a head coach, don't go to that organization. I don't question Diana Rossini's uh, actual sources. I think someone really did, someone with an NFL organization really did tell her that, yeah, sometimes the way someone looks, uh, if they're kind of physically intimidating or large or whatever, uh, can affect uh, the interviewer affect the vibe. Like, I really believe if she said she was told that by someone who was hypothesizing why he wasn't hired, that that could be a factor. I just, I cannot let myself believe that that's a real factor for the majority of teams. This is football. This is a hyper physical, aggressive, masculine sport that prides itself on being the biggest and baddest at everything. And I know that the those athletes are, uh, unfortunately, often uh, not often reflected in front offices, but that doesn't mean that they're going to shy away from someone who looks like the type of player they want on the field. It's, I don't believe that. It's almost like, oh, no, leadership reflects too much of what's on the field. That's scary. No, I'm there. <laughs> what, but do you think going to beat you up? But then I do understand, right? You, you look at the coaches across the league. Let's stay in just in this division, right? Sure. You got Shanahan, who's not a big guy. Um, you got McVay, who's not a big guy. And uh, you got Gannon over there, who's not a big guy, and Mike McDonald, who's not a big guy. So it's, I guess, it's out of the norm because typically the guys who um who didn't play that much make great mm-hmm. coaches. That's why we see these hires. So when you get a guy who actually did it and was in the trenches, I believe Vrabel was a linebacker though. Um, there's gonna be some size there, but um, man, eliminate that train of thought. Can he coach? Can he not? That's what it comes down to. A sidebar: uh, This story isn't on the timeline, but I looked up the. One in eight men think they could uh, beat Serena Williams or get a point against Serena Williams in a match. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was from 2019. They're crazy. That's insane. Crazy. It was a tweet that I saw during the break, and I was trying to find out when that study was done. In 2019, a survey of almost 2,000 British men and women, uh, almost 15% of men said they thought they could get a point against Serena. She's been retired, I think, for a couple years now. I still don't think anybody can get a point off of her. Only time I can catch Serena slipping is if she tore ACL and she can't move. But you know what? I do think that there is a higher percentage of men versus women who overestimate their own physical ability. Like, I think that there is. I knew someone who played high school football and thought 
that he was better than one of the Seahawks practice squad players. And I laughed at him. They crazy. Some of the best athletes I've ever played with were on the practice squad. Yeah. Like legit. They're just, um, I would say like raw athleticism. I would give it to football players, like running, jumping, throwing, sprinting and all that stuff. Every, every sport has, uh, their skill set. Now you're going to go to a tennis court where you have to be agile quick and have great hand-eye coordination and control. I want everyone to go outside and try to serve um, a tennis ball as hard as you can and tell me how much control you got of that thing. None. I want you to try to run upstairs and tell me how you feel after that. (laughs) Uh, Next story here, Lions GM Brad Holmes is keeping receipts, and he called it out during a press conference. And those picks were not welcome by many in this room. You know, Dave, you want us to pick quarterback. You didn't want us to pick Panay Sewell. You know, people didn't want us to wait till the fourth round to draft a wide receiver. People didn't want to wait on a Derek Barnes to develop. But every single move was intentional and was made with intention. You know, back in 2021, we did not have multiple ones. We did not have multiple twos. We did not have four picks in the first 100, you know. Now, we did have that, and we used those wisely. You guys didn't agree, but we used those picks wisely. We had one extra pick in 2021. We had a cop third. That was Ify Melifonu. Carlos, I know you said that that was a miss. I don't know how many people doubted the Penny Sewell pick, who was widely regarded as one of the best offensive linemen in the draft. However, Detroit has been criticized for their picks, including this past draft class. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we do it here too, right? We see what the Seahawks do and we go, oh, I would have went this route. And with the Detroit Lions, I would imagine being in that media group, it's so easy to question everything that they do because they haven't had much success. So when you have an opportunity to stand in front of the media, the guys who criticize everything that you do and you hit and you make it to the NFC championship game, I think it's time for you to flex a little bit because Mm -hmm. that organization could not flex for 30 years, right? So now you get in that position, you go ahead and do it, and it's validation. What we do here works. So you got to start buying into what we're doing. Now what I don't want to see happen is an extreme fall off next year. There's going to be a dip. Dan Campbell made it made it known, like, look, it's hard to get back to the NFC Championship game, but let's have the Detroit Lions hang around for a little bit and be competitive for three or four years. All right, next up in the timeline, the Cincinnati Reds have signed an 18-year-old infielder from Mexico with the most Mariners name ever, Ichiro Cano Hernandez. This from Sean Spraulding. All three names. (laughs) Covers four at pitcher list. Hey, I'm with them. I mean, they know what they're doing. They manifested this. They said this is going to happen. So the kid was probably born in like 2006. So Cano was an all-star with the Yankees in 2006. Ichiro was a six-time all-star by then. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. Good for them. Manifestation. (laughs) It's real. We got evidence right here. Uh, Next up here, uh, Curtis couldn't wait for this story. Um, CBS Sports Radio's Boomer and Geo had quite the mix-up. Bump, you're already laughing. When their producer thought they'd booked ESPN's Randy Moss, uh, that is obviously not who they booked. Instead, they booked NBC horse racing analyst Randy Moss. What is Randy Moss promoting, by the way, Al? Do Do you know? It's something having to do with horse racing. Really? He's very into horse racing. Are you sure this is the right, this, the... Yeah. Not this the other Randy, Randy Moss. Moss. The wide receiver, not Randy. Is there another Randy Yes. There's a... Uh-oh. There's an announcer, Randy Moss. Who is into horse who racing. Who is into horse racing. Please tell me that's fake. That, I, no. That would no. be so awesome. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm a, I'm a double check that. Or maybe the Randy Moss, who is the sports announcer, the horse racing announcer. He also he used sport. to work for the NFL Network. Yeah. Come on. I swear to God. Yes. How's that possible? 
This is Jesus. This is horrible. Just wanted to check to see if you would be interested in current NBC sports broadcaster and former NFL network broadcaster and reporter. That's right. That's you booked the white Randy Moss. First of all, that is all. I was thinking, like, there's no way Randy Moss is coming here. No wonder they were so excited, too. The, the person was like, oh, no, he will definitely be there. <laughs> you can't wait. He'll be there in person. They're like, oh, my God. We got Randy Moss in person. On a national radio show. This is insane. Man, um, poor guys. Super excited to interview Randy Moss. But this uh, this inspired me to go and look like, all right, there, there could be some mix-up, right? You know the actor Michael Douglas? You know, you heard of him, Michael yes, Douglas, right? Yes. There's another actor, Michael Douglas. He goes by Michael Keaton. Uh, Michael Jordan, basketball player. Yep. Michael B. Jordan. Uh, well, I'd be okay with either okay. of those guys. Going All right. Uh, yeah. You heard, of, you heard of Kate Hudson, right? Yeah. You heard of Katie Hudson, nope. a.k.a. Katy Perry. Oh. There's a mix up. Oh. We all know Randy Jackson, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, Jackson 5, Randy Jackson. It's easy to get mixed Whoa. up, people. You have to do your research and make sure you're getting the right guy. So let's make fun of him, but uh, it's easy to get mixed up. But as soon as I would I saw horse racing connected to this, I would have been like, all right, let's dive deeper and let's see what's going on. I also just think there should always be a tiny, tiny, tiny red flag. Like if I had someone, uh, if, if Joe Buck... Uh, someone named Joe Buck was like, yeah, I'll go on your show. Or they reached out and they were like, I'll come on your show. I'd be like, wait a minute. I'd need to like call them before. <laughs> Why is like, Joe Buck yeah. all love to the Bump and Stacey show, but like a Seattle based sports radio. It's like, why? Also like Randy Moss's name probably appears in the subject line of the email that that producer got sent. Like, how do you not, how does, how do you read through that email and not ever come up that like, this is a pro football hall of famer, greatest receiver ever. I wonder if this is like a 25 year old producer. He looked like he was in his like thirties, oh. <laughs> so he looked like he should have seen should Randy Moss's prime years. Better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. I just love them screaming, "We got the white Randy Moss!" What? <laughs> what? What kind of offensive philosophy are you hoping to see the Seahawks adopt under Mike McDonald? Don't go anywhere. Bump and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Curtis, this tweet I just read, Bump, on a team's meeting yesterday, it's from at Chief Punter. On a team's meeting yesterday, I said, quote, let her cook out loud after one of my colleagues, a woman, made a great point during a controversial argument. And now I've been asked to see HR on Monday for sexism allegations. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's a good thing. <laughs> no. Let her cook. Be hot. Uh, what kind of offensive philosophy are you hoping to see the Seahawks adopt? We're not starting from scratch here in Seattle, right? You've still got the personnel. I mean, you got you got Gino, you got uh, Ken Walker, you got Zach Charbonnet, you've got your wide receivers, you've got the offensive line you have. So we're not starting everything over. But... We don't know exactly what kind of offensive philosophy Mike McDonald is going to want to adopt. So until we learn, Bump, I'm curious as to what kind of philosophy you think would best suit the Seahawks. If you were a head coach coming in here, looking at the weapons they have and looking at the recipe that you need to win in today's NFL, what direction are you moving in? Oh, man, I'm looking at just the uh, the top offenses in the league this year. You got Miami, number one overall, number one passing. If this ad could stop popping up on my screen. All right. And then um, out of the top five when it comes to rushing, you look at the Niners, number two overall, number four passing, number three rushing. And then let's throw the Lions in there. Number three overall, number two passing, number five rushing. Mm -hmm. So 
We got two out of the four or three teams that I just mentioned made it to the conference championship game being a balanced type of team. And I think most coaches want to be balanced, not necessarily saying, look, 50% run, 50% pass, meaning we can execute in any type of game that you want. Now, Miami Dolphins did exactly that until it got cold. So you want a balanced team that can play in the cold as well. But I think it comes down to quarterback play. And it comes down to having a quarterback who can work under center, work in the shotgun, who could check out a run plays when necessary to check in a pass plays or vice versa. You have a, a light box, <clears throat> meaning you got four or five guys in a box, maybe even six, and you feel like, okay, advantageous to the run game, let's run the rock. But end of the day, you want an offense that can win ball games late that you can have the football in your hands. Your quarterback has a hands, has has a ball in his hands whether he's up 7 points or he's down 3, he's going to be able to conduct an offense that operates accordingly according to the situation. So, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a guy who understands or an offense that understands who Gino is. Who is Gino? Gino is a guy that is at his best when he is rolling out off of a play action. He is at his best when he's throwing those intermediate routes going across the middle. So I don't say lean heavily on this side when it comes to run or the other side when it comes to pass. It's saying, look, what type of game is presented? Mm -hmm. Where are your advantages? Take advantage of those situations. And when you have the ball in your hands, whether you're up or you're down, being able to execute in the clutch. I love that you mentioned a balanced offense. uh, And uh, you didn't mention it, but implied like a balanced team. That like that's those are what all those teams are, mm-hmm. right? Like you were looking at the final four teams saying, what do they do well? Uh, Baltimore and Kansas City had the best two scoring offenses in football. Kansas City had a really balanced offense, their lowest scoring offense in quite some time, but still a balanced offense with a better run game than they've right. had in some time. Baltimore, obviously, with the best run game in football. For some reason, didn't lean into that in the AFC conference game, but I digress. Um, And then you look at San Francisco and the Lions, and you can say the same. The Lions had some weaknesses defensively, but overall improved there. San Francisco, we know, is great defensively. Both were really stellar, high-scoring offenses. Um, I think that there's this natural thing that we do uh, as fans, which is follow the big trend and assume that that applies to everyone. Um, So, for instance... The Chiefs, for a minute there, with Patrick Mahomes at the helm, were scoring and averaging like 30 points per game during a full season. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I think that there was this very natural conversation about the way that the league had evolved, where defensive players, it felt like, were being penalized for all kinds of things. Quarterbacks and, and high-flying passing games were being rewarded. And it felt like, well, this is the direction the league is going. During that time, so let's say during, you know, uh, Seattle, um, you know, kind of trying to lean into the run. Uh, Pete Carroll was criticized for leaning into the run at a time when it felt like these offenses were scoring. So there was one year where it was like Green Bay, I think Buffalo and Kansas City averaged like 30 points per game for the right. entire season, like just crazy stuff. And so I think that there became this pushback in Seattle about, well, get away from the run, get away from the run, really lean into Russ and lean into your wide receivers. I hope Mike McDonald takes advantage of the wide receivers, but a balanced offense is a way to win in a league where offense is actually down. Offense was down this year more than it has been in 10 years. And I think that you're seeing that as a result to improving defenses around the league. So you need to now be able to win any way you can. Defenses have responded to, oh, you want to throw on us? Well, we're going to do this, this, and this. And now the best way to win is to be able to do it in multiple ways. Yeah, diversify the portfolio, right? That's why that's what you got to do. 
And again, simple football, score more points. Uh, that's what it comes down to, right? Get into the red zone score. Be good on third down. When you look at the top 10 offenses when it comes to scoring points, points in the NFL, number one, 29.9 points per game, Dallas Cowboys. Number 10, Cleveland Browns, 23.3 points per game. Out of those top 10 teams, nine made the playoffs. The only team that was in top 10 in scoring that, that did not make the playoffs were the New Orleans Saints, mm. 23 Point six, they didn't make the playoffs. But again, an easy stat to look at, but it all comes down to being able to produce points. And how do you do that in multiple ways? I look at the Seahawks offense and go, look, you are built to play any game that is necessary. You're built to pack it in and run the football. Got some tight ends. You got to sign one or two of them. You got some running backs. Um, you're hoping your O-line develops. You are built to spread the football out. If you want to go empty and not have a running back out there, you got four receivers and a tight end that can get it done. Spread these guys out. So I look at the offense and I go, it's all about understanding what your team needs in those moments. It's easy to look at some stats and say, well, you got to be able to run it well mm-hmm. and, and throw the football well at the same times, but you got to know when to do it and how to execute in those moments. That's where the teaching comes in. That's where Mike McDonald comes in. That's why we're so anxious to see who this offensive coordinator is going to be so we have an idea of what they like to lean on and if we think they'll be able to teach these guys how to perform in those moments. Gino has shown he can win you some ball games late. Right? So what do you do? You you hang around as long as you can and when the fourth quarter comes around, you can win in the fourth quarter apparently, right? Yeah. You get the ball to Gino and and you see what he can do. <laughs> so um again, that's something that I would love to to keep around from Pete Carroll, not necessarily say the whole speech, win in the fourth quarter, but understand that this is the NFL. You're not going to blow a lot of teams out. It's up to the coordinator to take advantage of those light boxes and and a uh, a soft secondary. And um, your identity fits what is needed in that moment. I agree. It sounds like a lot of what what we're saying and what you're saying is the principles of the offensive identity of like balance. Great. Right on. Don't get rid of that. But maybe find out how to use your weapons even better and also how to adjust game by game. Yes, especially after halftime. We struggled yeah. last yeah, year Yeah, no that. kidding. All right, uh, tune in tonight for another edition of The Hot Stove from 7 to 9 p.m. on Seattle Sports. Guests include Bryce Miller, Assistant GM Andy McKay, and Harry Ford. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The five biggest roster decisions facing John and Mike McDonald coming up next.